So I want to give everybody permission to leave now because that was fantastic. And I think, uh, <laughs> I don't know that we need any more. Uh, so thanks for making that really hard to follow, and I sure appreciate that. I mean, that's, that song said it all. Uh, deeply appreciate it. Uh, I think a lot of us uh, who are here, who find Crosswalk, uh, we're, we're writing parts of that same letter uh, to ourselves. Things that we were taught at one time and now we recognize uh, they weren't quite right. They were off. They weren't aligned or attuned uh, with Shalom. And that process, which is long, uh, is also difficult. But then once we find it, uh, the joy that's there. So, whew, just got to take a deep breath after that. All right. Uh, so today, um, the meditation portion's coming at the end because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to inflict you uh, with a meditation exercise uh, in just a little while, which I think will be helpful. You should have received a handout, and part of that is what we're going to use uh, later on. It's also going to be on the screen so people who are viewing this uh, right now, live streaming and later, uh, can follow along as well. It's also in my blog, so if you really dig it and you want to share it with somebody, you can copy it or forward it uh, from there. Uh, that will uh, release at 12 o'clock. So we continue this series, Simplicity, Spirituality, and Service, uh, and uh, the book is writings about uh, St. Francis, Claire, and Bonaventure. Uh, Francis started this whole Franciscan branch of Catholicism, and it's still its own thing. Uh, he's still very broad, very expansive in his view of the world, ecology, everything. Uh, Claire became one of his disciples. Uh, she lived her life in a convent, but um, you know, first was a disciple and then actually ended up being a sounding board uh, for him as he was contemplating some things. Then Bonaventure came later, uh, studied both of their uh, work and was deeply captivated by it. And so we have some of his brilliant stuff too. So I'm working with that, working with the lectionary text, which most of the churches in the world are looking at today. So one of those we're going to look at today because it totally dovetails uh, with what uh, chapter three was about. And then we'll take a look and see how it deals with our current issues and so forth. So that's where we're going today. And I hope you enjoyed the question. You know, I know it was a long one. Didn't mean it to be terribly deep, but perhaps some of you took it there. It's about when did you make a major life change and what was that about? And, you know, so one happier one for me in college, uh, when Lynn and I met each other, we fell in love with each other, and all of a sudden uh, my life changed. And so my friends didn't see me much anymore on campus because I was hanging out with her all the time, you know, and that was, <laughs> that was a real shift for me. My priorities changed at that point, put a lot more miles on my car at that point uh, to drive to see her and all that. And uh, you probably have similar experiences. Uh, I know that um, in terms of a compelling type thing, I know that first when I uh, visited uh, Deborah's house, which wasn't quite Deborah's house yet, when we got involved with this domestic violence shelter and rehabilitation center that we've been supporting for a long, long time in Tijuana, I know I came back from that changed because I recognized that right across our border there are examples of third world poverty. Uh, right there, uh, right next door to uh, first world kind of um, uh, economic uh, wealth. Uh, so that did that. When I went to Africa for the first time in Kenya and saw the slums, came back changed because you can't see where uh, some of these uh, folks who call the slum home, you can't be in their home and not be changed uh, because it is so horrific and unthinkable. Uh, that somehow, some way, um, our collective humanity has said that's okay somehow. 
and uh, put systems in place to make sure it doesn't change. You can't not change when that happens. You can't not change when you see people who you love are treated uh, inappropriately, unfairly, based on the color of their skin, their language, their immigration status, their, their human sexuality. Uh, when it's somebody close, it's, like, it's almost always that's the thing that changes us. And we change, and we do things differently. We see things differently. And all of you, all of us, experienced a little thing called a pandemic, uh, which we're still feeling uh, the, the ripple effects of. And I remember as pastor here, uh, when we recognized that we were going to have to shut down and thinking it was going to be, you know, just a month or two, not a full year, uh, the board and, and I together, we, we made a game plan. All right, this is how we are going to survive economically. And it was, I remember one of the board members after we went through the list, he was just like, Whew, man, <laughs> because it was, we had to, we had to think, you know, what, what's our, what's our stepping stones to, to survive? And I know personally, maybe you did too, not knowing uh, what things were going to be like. All of a sudden, I'm looking at my personal budget, and I'm thinking, are there any, any things I can cut out here, uh, and just, just to, to squirrel away in case we're going to need it, you know, months ahead, and looking at streaming things that maybe I don't need, a little fewer Starbucks, and all these types of things, luxury things uh, that are just kind of normative. And I bet you've done that too. And of course, anytime there's an illness involved, that immediately, or somebody else's illness that we care about, or a divorce or a death, immediately we change because we don't have a choice. We must uh, or suffer the consequences. So keep that in mind as we take a look at a text in the Gospel of Mark. This is the one that people all over the world are joining with us in reading. This is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. After John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee preaching the message of God. Time's up. God's kingdom is here. Change your life and believe the message. Now, this is the message paraphrase, by the way, of the scripture. Uh, passing along the beach of Lake Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew net fishing. Fishing was their regular work. Jesus said to them, come with me. I'll make a new kind of fisherman out of you. I'll show you how to catch men and women instead of perch and bass. They didn't ask questions. They dropped their nets and followed. Now, I just want to pause here for just a second. Every time I've taught this over the years, uh, there's always somebody uh, who asks a question and follow-up at my Praxis group or whatever Bible study I'm leading at that time, and they wonder, are we supposed to read this absolutely literally? Like, did, they, did Peter really just leave his boat on the shore and his nets a mess and just walked away and just started following Jesus just like that? And what I want to say to you is that is a very modern Western question <laughs> that chooses to read the Bible extremely, excessively, literally. <laughs> and we've got to remind ourselves, we are talking about an Eastern tradition here, ancient Judaism, and they are just simply trying to tell and make a point. So probably when these early followers of Jesus heard the call, they probably already knew about Jesus, uh, he got back from his camping trip, that camping trip, and he was changed, and he knew he was going to start something. He was just trying to wait for the Spirit's guide on the right timing. John the Baptist is, a, is arrested. That is the time for him to take the mantle and the torch and to go forward. And so they already knew a little bit about him, and so when they heard that this was happening, uh, they were gung-ho. But 
very likely because we know that Peter and the others still had their business later on, which they went back to to make a buck after Easter. Uh, they had their house in order. So this is a not, you know, if you, <laughs> if you sense a Jesus saying, follow me today, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean you cut off all contact with everybody else and you run out of here and, you know, do that. Maybe, I don't know, I guess so, but, but probably not. And so I just want to say that because sometimes we actually make this kind of a text irrelevant because of our questions. That's what biblical literalness does to us. We read it, we say that must be how it was, and therefore, because of our questions, we just walk away from the whole thing. See instead a sense of conviction, compelling uh, voice of God, and clear actions and urgency on the part of those who hurt, much like some of the things that you guys have already experienced in your life. So a dozen yards or so down the beach, he saw brothers James and John, Zebedee's sons. They were in the boat, mending their fishnets. Right off, he made the same offer. Immediately, they left their father Zebedee, the boat, and the hired hands, and followed. So my question for you is, because what we see here, what we're supposed to see here, is people who decided to go whole hawk, like they are all in on their decision uh, to follow this Jesus. They're changing their life uh, in the most significant ways possible for them. Uh, they're putting their business on hold so that they can dedicate themselves to following uh, this Jewish teacher rabbi around and see where that's going to lead. Um, many of them, they were really riding on faith. They didn't know what that was going to mean. Uh, maybe this was going to be, uh, you know, maybe they were going to become poor because of this. They weren't quite sure, but they were absolutely convicted. And so my question for us is, how fully have we embodied the way of Jesus? Has, have we ever considered our faith to the point of this is, a, we're, we're all in. I mean, every aspect of our life, every room in our house of a being is open to the, to the voice of God. And how, how then do we foster a maturing, rooted spirituality if that's what the whole thing is about? Epperly has this brilliant uh, statement that he makes. I'll give you the full quote in a second. But he's, his quote is, it can only be found in the walking. That it has to be a process of moving forward. And he happens to mean it literally, but this is the full quote about Francis Clare and Bonaventure. These spiritual pilgrims recognize that Jesus can be found only in the walking, both literally and figuratively. Francis and Clare discovered the living Christ by following in his footsteps, living in the style of Jesus, welcoming the outcast, embracing the lost, and putting God's realm above all else. So this is literal walking. This is literal walking the footsteps of Jesus. And I think what Epperly is wanting to get at here, and I think I'm certain this is how Jesus was, is while there is an intellectual side of our faith, there's thinking involved, uh, theological reflection involved, it's not just about coming to the right beliefs. That's never been the full point of faith. The full point of faith is, our, our, our increasing illumination of who God is and what God's about leads us out of our contemplation into action based on what we've learned. It becomes the North Star that we follow going forward. So that's important for us to note because a lot of us learned, as Anne's song stated, 
lot of us learned that it was really just about making sure you had the right beliefs and you said the right thing in the right order at the right time to secure your place in the afterlife, to make sure that you were forgiven, and then just wait it out until the heavenly bus picked you up to take you home. Now, it may not be that crass. I don't think I've ever heard a preacher actually say that. But the way things play out, that's kind of how it is. So we stay in our cathedral. We stay comfortable in our knowledge and let the world go to hell in a handbasket. But that's not the way of Jesus. And it certainly wasn't the way of Francis. Remember, he was born into privilege, money, a future, prestige. And because of an encounter he had with God, his life changed. He took a vow of poverty. Uh, the lepers that he used to avoid at all costs because they disgusted him, he devoted his life to serving lepers and leper colonies, embracing them as Jesus embraced them as well. And Claire uh, devoted her life similarly, uh, living her whole life in a convent, learning, teaching, serving the whole way. Thus, the title of the book, Simplicity, Spirituality, and Service. That's it. And the reason why I want to just focus on that intellectual part is because of the next part of this quote, that a person can boldly claim to be an Orthodox Christian, affirming the creeds of the church and the authority of Scripture, yet follow business and political practices that disregard planetary well-being, economic justice, human rights, democratic institutions, and concern for strangers and immigrants, the very creation that Jesus came to heal and save. Well, you all know the answers to these questions. If I were to ask any of you or anybody in the public, give me some examples of how the church thought they had it right but did terrible wrongs. Uh, crusades. It's going to be one of those things right out of the gate. Slaughtering who knows how many people uh, because they didn't have the right beliefs. Or <laughs> as soon as they uttered the right beliefs, at the threat of losing their life, they confess, and then they were killed immediately to make sure that they couldn't recant and be destined to hell. Or how about in American history, we can never forget our own American slavery, which took slavery to a new level, fully endorsed by the church. Now there were voices along the way that slowly and surely began to grow in number saying this, this is not right, this is not right, this is not right, but let's just be honest about the fact that in this country which we proudly say was founded on Christian principles, exhibited the worst form of systemic slavery humanity has seen. And after slavery was emancipated, uh, Half of our country found a new way to continue doing it with the support of the Bible itself. Right beliefs aren't enough. In Nazi Germany, the overwhelming majority of pastors were complicit with Nazis' agenda, which was as anti-shalom <laughs> as it possibly could be. Therefore, complicit in their silence because they did nothing. And when a few of them did, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, started to speak against of it, what happened to Dietrich Bonhoeffer saying, uh, this is not the voice of Shalom, this is not the voice of God, this is anti all of that, 
He was imprisoned and eventually killed. <laughs> Martin Luther King, uh, as he, you heard me last week, as he is marching in Birmingham and getting arrested in Birmingham, he writes a letter from the Birmingham jail. And what is part of his, what is part of his frustration? Uh, he knew that the power players in the South did not want to end segregation. But what he did not expect was that his own fellow pastors in white churches were silent, and not just silent, but even condemning him for his action and him trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus in his world. Correct beliefs alone, are they worth anything? Well, they're worth a little bit, I guess. They at least might give us some hope, but if they don't change the world, if, if there's no hands and feet on it, what is the point? If it's just to feel good about ourselves, hey, you're wasting your time here uh, because you can get this off of any podcast or TV preacher. Uh, go do that. Buy yourself some more time to eat some more popcorn before football starts today, right? If that's all that we think it is, we're sadly mistaken. It's a grievous error. And so uh, Epperly raises this question, what was the primary focal point uh, for uh, Francis and Claire and Bonaventure? And the answer is simple, the cross. And the reason why is this. The cross of Christ itself was a reflection. In fact, the culmination of Jesus' earthly ministry, the most dramatic example of the way of Jesus, the friend of sinners, healer, movement leader, and wisdom teacher. The cross was the ultimate manifestation of Jesus' sacrificial living and commitment to put God before everything else, including life itself. Now, you need to take a deep breath and recognize that this is probably different than most of us have been taught most of our lives by the church because the church has been hyper-focused on the cross of Jesus being substitutionary atonement. He died on a cross for the forgiveness of sins. And while that became a later understanding and metaphor for the church, don't miss the first message that Jesus spoke with his life, which was all these things, that what we see in his very last 24 hours of life is emblematic of everything who he was and what he stood for. In the early morning hours, pre-dawn, He's, he's so stressed, he's sweating drops of blood, which apparently is an actual thing that can happen. And he's crying out to God, let this cup pass. He knows what's coming. He knows Judas is going to sell him out. It's going to happen any second. And he knows what that means. Let this cup pass. I don't want to do this. But your will be done. If that's what has to happen, your will be done. And soon enough, the soldiers came to arrest him. He was beaten up pretty good, put up on false charges, slapped around in the Jewish courts before taking to, taken to Pilate, where he got beat up even more. And all the while, what was Jesus' MO? Nonviolent action. I'm not going to fight back, because that's what the world does all the time, is just fight back. Instead, I'm going to let the world see what is really happening here. I am an innocent victim. I have been doing everything I can to follow the voice of Shalom, 
to extend the voice of shalom, to be shalom wherever I can, inviting all to the table. The presence of God has been in me as I've been healing and teaching and all of these things. And yet, because I'm threatening the power structures that are, this is what's happening. That is why the cross is so significant. Because it shows us in one long, drawn-out scene, a scene that all gospel writers like slow down for. They're going fast forward throughout his whole life. I mean, like two, one to three years is like, and then all of a sudden it gets to the last day of Jesus and it just slows down so we can see the whole thing, every scene, every frame, so that we don't miss it. So you may love substitutionary atonement. Keep loving it. It's a great metaphor but don't miss the actual original message, that it shows us the way to follow Jesus. In their spiritual adventures, Francis and Claire both sought to live in accordance with the mind of Christ, attuning every moment and choice to the sacrificial path of Jesus. They not only asked, what would Jesus do, but they also asked, how would Jesus live, and whom would Jesus love? And so the question for us then is, how do we attune every moment to the way? And I just want to say uh, that there's some good news and bad news. Um, you know, Francis and Claire both took a vow of poverty and lived their life very differently, completely reliant on the grace of God expressed through other people. And I'm here to tell you that God calls people very specifically, like to a person. And there's pretty good odds that you are not called to a vow of poverty. So you can be excited about that today. All right. Amen, you Western capitalists. <laughs> Thank God. This is why I come to this church. All right. However, uh, what is also true, this is the bad news. <laughs> bad news, good news, is that we are all called by shalom towards something that is more whole life, holistic, uh, deepening our experience of shalom in our life, which touches every aspect of our life. Nothing is off limits if we are daring to say to the question, follow me, if we say yes, really the question is to penetrate all of us, every part of us, which means that how we think about ourselves as individuals when we're really connected to everyone else is, needs to be addressed. How we think about our self-esteem, good and bad, needs to be addressed. All of our relationships and how we interact in those relationships needs to be addressed. How we think about global issues politically, economically, environmentally, all across the board. It's all on the table. The bad news, if you want to look at it that way, is it feels really intrusive. Like, come on, Jesus. Just lay off. Lay off my football fantasy world, all right? I'm, that's what I really strive for. And after last night's game with the Niners, thank God that turned out well. But we all need a church today, right? Just to breathe deep and have a moment of contemplation, right? Whatever your vice might be, you might want Jesus or God to hang, hang away from that. But the reality is it, feel, it might feel like bad news, but it's really good news. Because there could be parts of your life that really need to develop. And you can count on the voice of Shalom being one that woos us to better for you, better for the world. So even though it might feel like bad news about changes that need to happen, ultimately it's good news because it's better for us and better for everybody else. So, uh, so unless you are one of those .0000001% of people who come out of the womb and they are just attuned to God for their whole life, 
which is probably not you, <laughs> that means for the rest of our lives, we're a work in progress, and we're a work in process. Which reminds me, these flowers that we have here on either side uh, were used in uh, remembering Lorraine Kilgo and her life yesterday. She was 93. She was our longest-term member. She joined this church in 1955. 15 years before I was even born. <laughs> and, so, and one of the things I remarked about Lorraine uh, is she, uh, she devoted her life to service. She was usually pretty quiet about it. Uh, she served in the food pantry. Uh, Lauren shared a beautiful story about how she would uh, sit across the registration table. This is at a different phase in our food pantry's uh, life and ministry. We used to kind of turn the gym into a grocery store and Things have changed because of COVID and other things that have come online for that. But anyway, uh, Lorraine would sit at the registration table, uh, not to you know keep people out, but to find out how we can serve them uh, very specifically if they had any uh, needs that were very specific and that kind of a thing. And he told a story about how a woman uh, came with a baby in her lap and was just broken uh, because it's hard when you're in that space to ask for help. And she was like on verge of tears, and Lorraine just reached across the table and put her hand on hers and just said, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You're going to have more food than you know what to do with by the time you're, you're done with us. And then she would make, make a beeline to the folks who were going to uh, pick her up next and say, hey, a little extra grace and a little extra food uh, for, for this client, this guest of ours today. Well, that was, her, that was her mindset, even though she was a straight shooter and would tell you like it is and told me what she thought like it was on a few occasions. I can tell you that she grew in her walk with God by things that I saw, things that I saw in her person and things that came out of her mouth. And as I said yesterday at her memorial, isn't that how we all want to be? Don't we all want to get to that place where we're being remembered and people say, man, that person never stopped evolving into more and more the essence of shalom, the essence of beauty and love. As I also said yesterday, who wants to be the person, you know, that lived to 93 and everybody says, well, they kind of they peaked in their Christian walk at 63 <laughs> for the last 30 years. It was just kind of downhill. We don't know what happened. Nobody wants that. So the, the call of God on our lives, which is full life, all life, is for our good. So that's why uh, we, we looked at this uh, the way that we did. And so... Um, Contemplation, meditation was a key part of Francis's life and Claire's life and Bonaventure's and every spiritual great's life. There's no way around it. You can't avoid it. There has to be time in your life, not just when you're alone and you're reading something, but when you are quiet and you're still and you're not even talking in your mind for you to listen, which is hard for us Westerners to do because we have not been reared well on this meditation contemplation. Epperly gives us this, if God is your ultimate concern, then your life finds its meaning in eternity and not in the anxieties of temporality. Now let me stop right there and just clarify this. This is not saying that we should just forget about this life and focus on the fact that we're all going to heaven someday and that this life is short and eternity is long, so just keep your head up there because that's where we're going to be and don't worry much about this life down here. That's an old-school way to think, which is wrong. In fact, there was an old phrase. Let's see if you guys get this. The old phrase was, that person was so heavenly-minded, they were no... Hey, 
somebody got it. All right. Apparently, nobody in the first service knew that phrase. So you got it. They were so heavenly minded, they were no earthly good. This is not what Epperly's talking about. What Epperly is suggesting here is that we are so enraptured by the good news that Jesus came to proclaim, that we're loved, that everybody is loved, that shalom is the way and it works, that we can't not do that. So the Apostle Paul would even write about that. We looked at this yesterday in Lorraine's service, that at one point Paul is saying, let go of all the legal to-dos, of you must do this, you must do that, to somehow win God's favor. That's just not the point. On the other hand, so focus on the fact that you are so deeply loved by God that you have a hope for the future, let that love compel you to stop doing destructive things and lead you to wonderful things. So the motivation shifts from a, uh-oh, I better not, to a, oh man, there's something more to pursue. That's what Epperly is talking about here, about being eternity-focused, being captivated and compelled by the love of God and shalom. The Beatitudes, which is how Jesus started his Sermon on the Mount. That's the one where he says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed, etc., etc. Profound stuff. And Francis and Claire would meditate just on that opening piece of the, of the sermon because it's so counterculture and counterintuitive. The Beatitudes do not devalue earthly life or our quest for shalom in our citizenship and political participation. They place our lives in God's care, trusting fully in the faithfulness of God who promises that if we lose our life for God's sake, we will gain peace of mind in this life and everlasting joy in the next. In trusting God, the temporal world of change and uncertainty becomes the pathway into divine companionship and eternal life. Everyday life takes on the spirit of eternity and outcasts become angels in disguise. We find Jesus in the walking because we're not just walking with him in our prayer closets, we are walking with him into the world quite literally, mixing it up with other human beings and creation itself. There's a reason why St. Francis uh, is often made into a bird feeder uh, for gardens <laughs> all over the place. It's because he was the nature nut. He was the guy that would experience the presence of God in creation itself, and that is still true, right, Jenny Olson? Yeah, that's correct. So, and we've got uh, something coming up in a couple months that, that will just make that super abundantly clear uh, every time you come uh, to a Sunday service. It's in the walking. It's in the mixing it up with people. It's in being in creation itself. And to help us get there, there is a contemplative practice that I'm going to take you through uh, today, and this is what we're going to do. Uh, you have this on your sheets, and this is also going to be on the screens so that people can follow along uh, who are watching online. So I give you three versions of the Lord's Prayer. One is the classic out of Matthew's Gospel. Another is uh, by um, uh, John something something. Connor, that's right, thank you. Uh, you may be really familiar with that. Epperly brings this up in his book, but that's the, that's the prayer that we do and end uh, with uh, the Heart of Christianity series uh, that we do when we teach around here. And the final one is from a guy named Philip Newell. And they're both uh, expressions of the heartbeat of the Lord's Prayer. So just so you know where we're going, I'm going to lead you through a couple deep breath exercises uh, just to help you center. And then we're going to read uh, one version of the Lord's Prayer. You're going to get a minute to just reflect on what you said out loud, what you read. See if anything is popping up. That's that last thing. What strikes you, what speaks to you, and so what? Why do you think that's happening? And then we're going to read another version. Do the same thing. We're going to read it out loud together. Pause for a minute just to give you a moment to listen 
And after a minute, we're going to read the third version. And we're going to pause for another minute, see what happens. And that's it. So it's not complicated, but this is a practice that you can take with you throughout this week. And maybe by doing this this week, you will start to experience God in a more profound way. And there are other exercises that are on that sheet as well, which is why I wanted to print it off. Okay, so here's what I'd like you to do. Uh, sit in a way that you can breathe deeply, just so we can center ourselves here a little bit. Close your eyes or choose a soft gaze if you want. And just start taking some deep breaths, nice and slow. A little trick, you can hold your breath for about five seconds after the intake. That will activate your vagus nerve, which will send your body into a more relaxed phase. And we start by focusing on your body. What is it telling you? Being present to the body. And the reason this is important, sometimes our minds have a hard time being present in the moment, but our bodies are always present in the moment. And when we pay attention to our bodies, how we're feeling, what it's telling us, that helps ground us in this moment. So as you continue to breathe deep, just do a quick body scan. Where are your muscles tight? You got any achiness in your lower back, your stomach muscles, your shoulders scrunched up with stress, or your face muscles? Why don't you relax your shoulders and your face muscles? Acknowledge any pains that you have in your body, just to recognize that they're with you. They're telling you something. And then as you exhale, just release those. You can pick those back up again later. You're just acknowledging them. You're not denying them. They're a part of your present moment. But you're choosing not to focus on them now. And as you continue to breathe and exhale, consider what mental and emotional things you've brought in, your mental task lists and to-dos. Let those go. Pick them up later. Don't let them distract you now. They may be very important, but not right now. And what about your emotions? What are you feeling right now? Just acknowledge that they are a part of this moment for you. Recognize them and release them. all so that you can be totally focused here now to hear the voice of God. All right, now open your eyes and let's read this out loud together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Take one minute.
Let's read this version of the prayer out loud with me. Eternal Spirit, earth maker, pain bearer, life giver, source of all that is and that shall be, father and mother of us all, loving God in whom is heaven. The hallowing of your name echoes through the universe. The way of your justice be followed by the peoples of the earth. Your heavenly will be done by all created beings. Your commonwealth of peace and freedom sustain our hope and come on earth. With the bread we need for today, feed us. And the hurts we absorb from one another, forgive us. In times of temptation and test, spare us. From the grip of all that is evil, free us. For you reign in the glory of the power that is love, now and forever. Amen. Take a minute and reflect. What's jumping out at you? Say it with me. Ground of all being, mother of life, father of the universe, your name is sacred beyond speaking. May we know your presence. May your longings be our longings in heart and in action. May there be food for the human family today and for the whole earth community. Forgive us the falseness of what we have done as we forgive those who are untrue to us. Do not forsake us in our time of conflict, but lead us into new beginnings. For the light of life, the vitality of life, and the glory of life are yours now and forever. One more minute.
All right. Out of curiosity, was that difficult for anybody to just stay focused for a minute or so? I'm the only one, Trudy. All right, thank you. <laughs> All right, very good. Right, that's normal. That's normal. And sometimes uh, it's just a matter of practice and getting used to this a different kind of rhythm. Uh, I would I would guess that most people uh, have hamsters running the wheel in our head all the time. And learning to calm that down is, uh, is very, very difficult. Anybody have any experience from that, from this exercise, three prayers general or specific that you'd want to share? I know for me, uh, in this last rendition, um, that forgive us the falseness of what we have done as we forgive those who are untrue to us. This uh, reminds me of Richard Rohr. Uh, who talked about when we walk around um, not as our true selves, we're walking around unconscious, almost like we're on autopilot, just parroting out and mechanically uh, modeling and mimicking everything that is in our culture and what we've grown up uh, seeing. But when we are conscious beings, when we are living at our, by our true self as much as possible, we're living uh, from shalom. And we're more likely not to do those things that are harmful, uh, that... Uh, we have been taught. And so it reminds me that, one, <laughs> I walk around more unconscious uh, than I would probably care to admit and need to own that. And two, so is everybody else. So that when somebody does something to me or at me uh, that is not loving, not shalom, I just need to remember. That's the unconscious talking. Somebody's walking around unconscious. And I need to not give in to my temptation to act unconsciously as well in reaction. And then I just love this idea in the next phrase, do not forsake us in our time of conflict, but lead us in the new beginnings. And for those of us, which is all of us all the time, there are areas of our life where we feel like there's no way out, that we are, we're at a spot where we're not quite sure how to move forward. But the good news of God is that the Spirit of God is constantly uh, whispering to us. And maybe we just need to stop and be still and listen for the whisper of God to guide us toward what is our next best step. So that's kind of what sat with me through this exercise. Anybody else want to? You don't have to. Uh, anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what a great, what a great way to start our day, right? Yeah, thank you, thank you. Carrie? Yeah. It's okay. Um, sure, you're absolutely wrong, Carrie, but it's fine. No, I'm, <laughs> that's, not, that's not what I'm saying at all. <laughs> No, what you did is a beautiful way to, to do it. You, it becomes a mantra then. And so then, so, and that's a totally legit, legit uh, spiritual practice. Uh, and that's actually right along the same lines is uh, you begin turning this into a prayer and God works with that. Uh, so don't feel bad about that at all. You didn't do it wrong at all. <laughs> that's just another way to express it. You were, you were, you were listening to the, to the nudge and that's where you went and that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. Elizabeth.
Very good. So uh, for those who are listening later or, or right now streaming, Elizabeth said that uh, the first prayer brings deep comfort because she's known it and memorized it for as long as she can remember. And my guess is that many of you have too. And there's just something pretty awesome that you have this rooted thing that goes back to over 2,000 years or 2,000 years-ish or so uh, that ties us to everybody ever since who, who knew this prayer. And that's that has its own comfort power. So emotionally, it's, it is comforting and affirming. And she mentioned that the second uh, prayer uh, was very active-oriented, and so that was a little disturbing uh, in a way, not, not comforting. Agitating was the word uh, that you said, which is not necessarily bad, <laughs> but agitating. And that the third one uh, sort of brought the two things together. So it still reflects action and yet uh, brought some uh, comfort with it as well. Did I pair it that well? Yeah, very good. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. So, Peta, if you didn't hear her in other parts of the room, uh, she was saying uh, that the classic Lord's Prayer is so grandiose and big, it's hard to uh, figure out what that means on the ground. It's not quite as accessible in its grandness. And the, the second two, uh, you, you use the word baby steps, but really it's more of an accessibility. They detail out what does, what does this look like if we're praying this. And that's helpful uh, for us to know, okay, this is what it means, give us this day our daily bread. It means, oh, not just our food, but how are we going to help make sure every mouth has food worldwide? Good stuff. Yeah, and for nature itself, that it's, uh, this is planetary. Uh, we, we, are not, we are not separate from creation itself. We are inextricably tied to it. <laughs> to take care of our planet is, to, is self-preservation. It's important to do. It's not a just a political uh, talking point, deeply biblical. All right, thank you for those of you uh, who uh, chose to share today. I deeply appreciate it. There are other exercises uh, that I've given you. I thought this chapter was so rich in its practicality that I wanted to spend this time with you uh, to try it on for size. And uh, some of you may be one and done kind of people, like, okay, well, we did the Lord's Prayer thing, so I don't have to do that for a long time. Uh, no. In fact, this, maybe this week, that's what you do, is you just take time with that practice every day and see what happens. Uh, and there's no wrong here. Uh, let the Spirit of God lead you and just be open to the nudge. All right, to finish our time together today, at the end of every chapter, Bruce Epperly offers what he calls fresh prayer. Uh, it ties in some of the themes 
of his work. So let's say this out loud together as we leave. Jesus, walk with me in paths of humility and simplicity. Show me your presence in each person I meet. Guide my steps to be of service to those I meet. Illumine my heart that I might shine brightly, bringing your light to the world. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. Hope you had a good experience. We'll see you next week. And don't forget to pray for the Chiefs. Woo. All right.